Hey y'all, so I just wanted to quickly stop by and drop in on you guys to let you guys know that I am using the Anchor app. This is an app that is very, very easy to use to record, you know, whatever podcast series that you have in mind. And it also shares your podcast with several other different platforms that, um, that are, that accepts your podcast, I guess. I don't know. Um, so yeah, check it out and see if it works out for you. Later. Hey, (laughs) y'all. Welcome back to the NASA Secret Garden podcast, where we dive in deep for better understanding of our body, nutrition, health, and wellness, and overall well-being. I pray that this message reaches you in the right mind, body, and spirit. Um, today's podcast, uh, is going to be slightly different from any of the episodes that you've listened to, you know, and instead of focusing on nutrition, which I probably, probably will touch, touch little, um, bases on, but not too much, but this particular episode, I really want to focus on overall well-being, you know, and wellness. And within that, you know, umbrella of wellness, I want to touch on mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, and um, physical health, you know. And I think that all these aspects, not that I think, I know that all these aspects of health and wellness, they all play an interconnected, interconnected role within one another. So I really want to take this time to speak on and tell my testimony. You know, this episode is my testimony. It is my reveal. It is my soul out. And what better time than to really speak right now, you know, especially it's a full moon outside. So, you know, the energy is pulling on us, you know, and, and it's a, it's a lunar eclipse. So there's just so much happening outside of us while also within us that we're also feeling, feeling all sorts of emotions all at the same time. So given the fact that it is 2020, you know, I thought, not that, not that I thought, I actually woke up this morning feeling the urge to speak. It's like I heard God said one word to me and that one word was speak. And I woke up, I had gotten confirmation without even seeking confirmation, you know, and it's so, isn't it ironic or strange how God works sometimes? Um, so honestly, I don't know where to begin with this, with this um, conversation, with this message. You know, I really don't know um, what to say, but I'm just gonna go off the top of my head and just speak my truth and see where this lands us. So, excuse me. Excuse me. Anyone who grew up in the concrete jungles of Brooklyn knows how challenging it is to grow up with any form of normalcy, right? Especially if you grew up in a household of single single parent household. And oftentimes in single parent household, you know, you're you're vulnerable because if there isn't no male presence 
presence there, oftentimes people seek to take advantage of the woman, you know, they take advantage of the woman's mind, they take advantage of her kindness, they take advantage of her, of her, of her, you know, ability to give her ability to nurture, they take advantage of everything. And if she has children, and if she and if she's not, you know, intuitive, or wise, oftentimes, these men, you know, they also not only men, but women too, they also take advantage of the children that are there, whether whether they're small or big, they take advantage of them because nine out of ten times when you are a single parent living in the concrete jungles of Brooklyn or any inner city area within America you oftentimes are vulnerable to predators you're vulnerable to predators in forms of women or men and growing up in Brooklyn you know I grew up seeing so much. I grew up seeing so much violence. I grew up seeing so much trauma. The first time I think I seen, the first time I witnessed, um, or I seen like one of the biggest traumas I've seen was the time my neighbor, I think we were living in Westminster and the neighbor killed his wife. And I never forget that day. I never forget that scream. I never forget that yell. I never forget, you know, the daughter, you know, in distraught. I never forgot that emotion, you know, and I just couldn't understand what was happening. And for some reason, when I seen that happen, it brought me back to a memory when my father was so angry and so upset one time, he bust through the, um, the, no, he he bust, he broke the building window and just to come upstairs to my mother's apartment. I'm not sure exactly what was happening then. Cause at the time I was much, much young, younger. I think I believe I was maybe, um, maybe eight, nine years old at the time. And at that time, I remember hearing glass shatter. I remember you know, him banging on the door. And I remember seeing cops. I remember feeling so confused. I remember, you know, trying to understand what is going on. Why was he so angry? Why would he break the window? Like, it just didn't make no sense. And as time went by, it's just like, I seen so much violence from men. It's it's almost unprecedented. unprecedented. Like, I, I just didn't understand. And I remember being in elementary school, you know, going to school. And I had this one particular teacher. His name is Mr. Smith. He had a particular eye for me. This was probably in third grade. And for a whole year, every time he got the chance, he flicks my ear, decked me in the leg. Flicks my ear, um, punched me in the leg. He was constantly like picking on me constantly like touching me constantly and I remember telling my mother about this no one ever did anything not one bit just let it go on for a whole year and hindsight thinking of you know seeing how everything played out I could understand in a sense from my mother's perspective because she was working you know like this going back like the dynamics of having to choose what to do you you know Oftentimes, mothers, single mothers, let their children suffer because of the simple fact that, you know, um, for their job to provide because there's no one else there to provide, you know. 
I grew up in a house where I was constantly battling with my uncle, constantly going back and forth with him because he just did too much. You know, I'm not saying that I was this perfect person growing up. No child is perfect. But at the end of the day, when children, children are children, they don't know better. This is why we are adults. We are there to guide. We are there to, you know, um, um, to educate. We are not there to, you know, severely punish like, like our slave masters did. Because that's what I felt growing up in my home. You know, especially by my father. Like he was the most abusive man I've ever met in my life. And because of him, he set up, he set a trend, he set the standard and he set the bar for every other man I would come in contact with. That also includes the men in my family. That one uncle I have, I never forget the day, like, I think there was a situation surrounding my sister. And I remember this because I think how old was I there? I don't I think I was I must have been like maybe 16 or 17 years old at the time. And I remember feeling so unsafe because he's going off, he's going off on me, you know, and the situation surrounded my sister. So I couldn't understand what would make this man think that it was okay for him to do what he did. In my mind, I remember pulling out a knife because I got scared. Because I don't know what his plan is. Because him and I have had prior situation and he's very, he's violent. He's shown that he's violent with children. Not necessarily with his wife, but with children. You know, the way that he, you know, he disciplines children is not normal. I don't care what nobody say. In my culture, in the Haitian culture, the way that we think discipline is, is not natural. It is not normal. It is a behavior that we've learned from our slave masters, whether you like to believe it or not. You know, this idea of beating children with buckles, you know, the belt buckle and in and, and, and like literally taking off their flesh as if like they did something so horrid. It just doesn't make sense. And I remember specifically him he took the knife, he slammed me into the wall while choking me, and he almost stabbed me in the face. But he didn't stab me in the he didn't like he didn't stab me in the face. He stabbed um he stabbed me um he stabbed the wall. He stabbed the wall instead. But I remember being such in shock. I remember my aunt being there, the kids were there. I was just so I was just angry. I was angry. I was angry. I remember feeling scared. I remember going off. I remember feeling enraged. And then next thing you know, I, I went upstairs and told my mom what happened. My mom does nothing. She goes downstairs. She has, I guess, this simple, I don't know what kind of conversation, whatever it is, but she ends up calling the cops. I'm not sure what happened. Next thing I know, I'm going to jail. I end up being in jail. I end up going to jail. I ended up um, having to go through the whole process and anyone who's ever been arrested, you know, how invasive these, the process of, you know, the jail system is, and they don't, they don't miss out on anything. Okay. They, they are inspecting your booty hole. They are expecting everything, you know, and it was so invasive. I remember just feeling so, so violated, you know, and, and the only, and everything I could think of is like, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. I was arguing with my sister. He came in. He came in the midst of the conversation, and next thing you know, everything went left left field. And in my mind, I'm like, 
Why can't I not defend myself? No one is defending me. No one is there to defend me. I'm always vulnerable at the hands of at the hands of men. I became violent by the time I believe like no by the time I was in junior high school I was violent because my family transitioned into this new form of religion which is the SDA community and oh gosh don't even get me started about the SDA community and how they function you know I remember just seeing violence like at home like you know I felt like I was constantly being violated my father every time he was angry or frustrated or even if I did the minor the minor things in my home no one in my home no woman in my home was there correcting me and that's a fact no one was there correcting me everyone thought I deserved this beat down and no one was in that room when my father was beating me no one was in that room when my father was you know like literally ripping the skin off ripping the skin off my body with his belt. It's not just any kind of belt. It was the type of belt that he was using. You know, it was how he was using the belt. Because in any, like, he used the buckle. He used every form of the belt. And I was always black and blue. I was always black and blue. I could never fully focus in junior high school. Because I was at home getting my ass beat. And I was at school getting my ass beat. Or I was at school you know, dealing with racist ass teachers. That was one. And then I had this one particular teacher. She was black, but she loved to mentally and emotionally bully me and pretend she didn't know what she was doing. I remember feeling so defenseless that I had no choice but to become violent. I had no choice but to become someone who you you have to survive. You in Brooklyn. I'm I'm living in Brooklyn. I have to survive or else I'm going to get beat up constantly. I remember my father one time like there was this one particular time like he like he spat he cried all at the same time while while beating the daylights out of me. I'm black and blue all the time. I can't sit. I can't sleep. I'm always in pain. And not once did he ever said he was sorry. And I remember the one time he violated my privacy. He violated my body. He violated me. He made me take off my clothes. Like he violated me. And that set a door open. And I remember going home telling my mom what happened at his house. And my mom didn't do anything about it. And I remember knowing it was not right. I remember feeling something was off. And all he could tell me was, I own you. You're my daughter. I do whatever I want with you. I remember my father being very diabolical, very, he, like, possibly maybe, 
I don't even want to say schizo, maybe bipolar a little bit. I'm not sure because sometimes there were days that my father would say certain things and it didn't match what he was saying in the reality, especially the, especially the things he would say about my mother, you know, and at the time, nothing made sense because my mother was a, a newly married woman. So I knew what he was saying was wrong. I live with my mom. I remember just feeling like I wasn't good enough. I remember giving my father several birthday cards, telling him happy birthday. He never said, never appreciated any of it. He just threw them away. I would give him a card. He just threw it in his trunk and closed the trunk. Like, he he constantly rejected me. Constantly. He was very narcissistic. Very narcissistic. I remember being in the church and David uh, trying to attack me. And I remember my mother interfering on that, on her own, like interfering because no one knew what was going on. But there were a few people that were there at the time. And my mother and him ended up in a big, you know, um, dispute over me. And all I could remember was like, did, did this did this man think he was going to put his hands on me? That's all I, I remember me thinking. Like, he was on the verge. And at the time, at my age, I believe I must have been like maybe 13 or 14 years old. I was ready to fight. Because by that time, I done been violated. By that time, I done been, you know... By the time I was 13, 14, I done been violated. I done been abused. I done, you know, experienced so much that enough was enough. Enough was enough. So these behaviors, these, you know, mentality carried on and I kept attracting the same type of, you know, you know, men. You know, even in high school, you know, in terms of dating, I attracted these, you know, perverted, um, predatory men. I remember this one particular church woman that could never keep her, like she could never mind her business. Her business, she took, she took an eye, like she took like, um, an interest in my mother from the moment my mother stepped foot in Shiloh. Because I remember growing up before I entered church, my mom and I did not have these issues that we ended up having and developing over time. My mother was the mom that used to read to me. My mom was very loving my mom was you know she was always there in some way shape or form granted that she couldn't be everywhere but the moment we stepped foot into church oh everything became hell in my in my life in in how i saw things this one particular lady took interest in my mom took interest in my mom's business and I believe she took interest in her because of the simple fact that she was a single woman there was no husband there and she thought that my mom was incapable 
So every little thing that she find that was wrong with me, she was constantly picking on me, constantly talking about my clothes, constantly talking about my hair, constantly talking about the way I look, what I did. Like there was, there was never anything I did right for this woman. And mind you, this went on for years, for years, for years, up until I'm talking about more than five years, this was going on. Up until the point, I believe I must have been 16 years old, where I, the first time I almost, I almost committed suicide. And in, not to mention, we lived in the same building. We moved into the same building as her. And I remember taking a bunch of pills, swallowing them. And I remember my mom coming, busting through the bathroom door, trying to, you know, get them out my throat, try to make me throw them out, throw, throw them up, you know. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. This lady is constantly persecuting me, constantly in my business. Meanwhile, she has a daughter who's a hoe. But she's constantly on me the entire time. And and me, for the life of me, I didn't understand what was happening then up until when I became a full-grown adult that I began to really look at certain things, at what, how they were and, how, and what it was looking like. This lady had like such an interest in my mother. like It was ridiculous. And then that woman started spreading rumors around, talking about how I'm bisexual, I'm this, I'm that. And I was like, and I'll never forget the day David had came to me. David pulled me aside and he came to me. He said, man, somebody is dirtying your name in the streets. And, I'm, and I think I remember being 20, maybe at the time. 19, possibly, because at that time I was, get, I was on the verge of leaving church. And I remember him pulling me aside, telling me, man, somebody dirtying your name. And I'm like, what? About what? Because I, I, you know, I'm in college. Like, I'm not out here, you know. And at the time, I was, like, really, really focused in school. So I really couldn't understand what or who was doing it. And, at the t- and I really didn't care because I knew I wasn't doing anything. It wasn't just these two particular people. It was also other women in the church that would go to my mom and tell my mom, well, petitu, I've got the petit moin. You know, your kid is, you know, you know, is making my child do bad things and so on and so forth, which wasn't true. It wasn't true. But people's going to speak as they feel. I rem- there was just so much that has happened. I remember growing up, Andy, you know, spoke a lot of ill will towards my mother. He told my mom things that was so hurtful to lower her self-esteem to diminish who she was to diminish her personality he you know he told my mom as if like she was this you know this this nothing person and which is not true but she made he made my mom feel like trash 
And because of how of what he did and how he did, and because of how these church people took interest in my mom, and you know, and because of all this stuff, it often led to me and her going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all the time. My mom and I, she became very, you know, violent towards me. She was constantly slapping me in the face, constantly fighting with me. And to the point one time, there was a big fight that happened between me and my mother. My friends were there. My mom and I, we never had that relationship where it was, you know, um, it was a mother-daughter thing. It was constantly fighting. My mother was always calling the cops on me. My mother was always kicking me out. You know, she 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 blames that it was my attitude and, and my rage. I blame her for the fact that she never defended me for the simple fact that these men were violating me. You mean to tell me, you know, it was okay for what my uncle did? Was it okay what my father did? Was it okay for what that church woman did? It was never okay. And she never stood up to say this is wrong. So all this time, this is eating me up. It's eating me up because I don't feel safe. No one is there to protect me. My father is in and out of my life and I don't trust him. So I, so which puts me in a vulnerable, vulnerable position to look for protection, to look for love outside of me. Because there was no such thing as love within my family. There was no such thing as care within my family. That's not what I felt. I've always felt neglected. If you ever understood what a black sheep in a family looked like, it would be me. If you if you know what a black sheep is, it would be me. Because I could not stand the injustice that was going on inside my home. We we're we're gonna pretend that this didn't happen. We're gonna go to sleep and as we're gonna go to sleep and pretend it, wake up the next day it didn't happen. Meanwhile, I'm still in pain. I'm still black and blue. Going to school, I can't even sit on a chair properly. I remember fast forward into like college years. My early college years, I remember this time around, my mom, we lost our apartment. We were we were evicted out, out of our apartment. I lost more than half of my stuff because she left them there. And plus, I didn't go get them either. So I was somewhere else at the time. And by the time I came back home to go get my stuff at the apartment, all everything that I had, all, you know, all my accolades, all my, you know, certificates, everything that, that represented who I was or what I was at the time, all gone, clothes, a lot of stuff gone. And I remember feeling like, wow, we are, we're homeless. And now we have to move into a whole nother family's home, to which is where the man that I have issues with live at and he owns. I remember we moved from that apartment to another apartment and I was in college and I remember working full time and going to school full time. And I don't remember what was the situation that happened there, but there was a situation that happened that led to the point where he kicked me out. He kicked me out the house. He kicked me out the house 
there we go again. I'm vulnerable. My mother, she can't, she's not going to defend me. She's just, it's just going to be what it is. And at the time, I'm an, I'm, full, I'm a full-blown adult. What can she say? Nothing. And is she going to say nothing? No. I remember he kicked me out the house. And I remember feeling so vulnerable, so raw, because I had nowhere to go. And I was in college. I think I believe I must have been in my sophomore or junior year in college. And I remember just sleeping everywhere and anywhere. And I had a suitcase with me that was just rolling everywhere and anywhere with me. And I remember it was cold. It was winter. It was cold. I remember, like, anybody who knew me at SSC knew that I lived basically in that library. But no one really knew how homeless I was because I was basically, I was bathing in school. Thankfully, they had, like, you know, because they had a locker room and a, you know, shower and all that extra stuff. I had, I had a place to take a shower at least. But I had no place to rest. So oftentimes I would be in the library sleeping and then trying to figure out where I'm going to get my next meal. Trying to figure out, you know, it was craziness. Um, eventually, I started working. Yeah, I was actually working, but there was just like you weren't. You when you're in college, you're not making no money. You're making very little to nothing. You know, you have to pay for transportation fee. You have to pay for this fee, that fee. You know, you need a phone so that you know you can stay in communication with some kind with people at least, right? And I remember going to work. I would go to work early in the morning. Because I was sleeping all over the place, actually, I ended up being at my godmother's house, right? And being at my godmother's house, I remember being there, but I was rarely there because I went to school full-time and I went to work full-time. I'm talking about I'm waking up at 3-something, 4-something in the morning, and I'm out the door at least by 4.45 a.m. because I got to get to work at least by 6.30 in the morning. So I'm working almost 10-plus hours, right? 10-plus hours. And then I have night, night class, and then I have to study. So by the time I come back home, it's pretty late. It's around, like, what, maybe 11-something mm, at night most of the time. And so I come back home. I just want to come and sleep. I I literally came, like, I literally slept, shower. I rarely ate there because I was, most of my time spent outward, was outside. So I couldn't understand for the life of me why she chose to have arguments with me. Once again, I'm thrown out. Right in the middle of the semester. So now I'm in the space where I'm like really, really vulnerable. Like everywhere I go, I'm the doors are shutting in my face, humiliated, humiliated, constantly humiliated. I remember I was like, you know what? That's it. That was that. I never went back there again. I think the last time I think. I seen her was at my aunt's engagement and my aunt's wedding. And that was the last time I seen her up until this year 
when I saw her at my other aunt's house, it, I don't know, it was a barbecue that was going on, right? It's summertime, first time I'm seeing her in years. So nobody, everybody who's seen me now, they haven't seen me, you know, for if they haven't seen me for a while, I look very different. You know, I completely transform. And so when I reached her, embrace her to like, you know, to hug her, she crossed her arm, was like, no, no, no. Your mom said no touching. No, no, no. Don't come near, you know. And I'm like, what is wrong with her? And I automatically knew what was wrong with her. But I was like, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. It is, it is what it is. I'm not stressing it. But part of me also wondered like, man. I adored you growing up. I always wanted to be in your house growing up. You know, you were my godmother, my favorite aunt, my favorite. You were my favorite. I just couldn't understand what what changed between being a child to being a, to being a young adult. And it didn't make sense to me. All these things led, all these, you know, mistreatment, humiliation, you know, talk down to. Let's not even talk about some of the guys that I dated that was just so horrible. You know, some of the things that they said was just so degrading. You know, how they how they saw me and how they treated me. Partly, partly, I don't just blame them 100%, but I also, you know, I wish that I had a, a father around that would teach me what to expect from a man, what to look for, what to look for in a man, you know? And, you know, like, I didn't have any of these things. So whenever I met someone, I accept, I felt like I almost had to prove myself because my father put me in a position position where I felt like I constantly needed to prove myself. Like I was ne- I never felt safe around my father. I was always fearful, always in anxiety, always in panic mode because I don't know when he's going to flip and I don't know if I'm going to be the one who's going to, you know, get the end of the stick. Meanwhile, my father is like very he's gawking at women, young women cuz his eyes were really really out there for young women. Right? It just it, all these all these situations led to dating men that were just ugh. I have no words up until this one particular man that I known for many years, and his name is not even worth mentioning because he know exactly what he did in twenty sixteen, and the way that he set me up. And the way that after I left his home, I knew something in me changed. I knew I wasn't the same. I knew I changed. Because 2017, that entire year, if there was ever rage that was inside of me, it amplified even more. Because of that incident that happened inside his home.
never said a word to anyone about this. I just remember going home. He after he did what he did, he made instead of calling me a cab, I tried to get a cab and I had the money to get the cab, but he wouldn't call he wouldn't let me take the cab. He made me take the bus home. Like I was some down low, dirty, you know, dirty piece of woman. And at the time I was what, twenty twenty six at the time. And I remember feeling so down, so low, because at that very moment, my I was where I was the same time this thing was happening. It happened with me and him. I remember working a job, and the the job where I worked at, that my boss tried. He made a pass at me, and this is not the first time I've worked in spaces where men were trying to make passes at me in the workspace. I've definitely experienced my fair shares of men making their, you know, um, their pass at me in the workspace. I'm not now, but back then in my early, like my teen and early twenties, oh, these perverts, these predators were out there. They're out there. You know, they are out there and they're methodical in how they do their thing. They're, they're, they're very slow at what they do and they're, and they're, Thinking every single, like, you know how they say, you know, um, uh, what's the term? I forgot. I forgot the term. But the, uh, it's in the details. You know how the devil is in the details? Yeah. That's how they thought. I digress. But needless to say, I remember just being, I remember just going home after that whole thing and not being the same no more. I knew I'd unchanged. I knew something happened. I just didn't know what form or how it would manifest. I just knew I was angry. And then within about a week or two, I remember calling him, calling him. He would not answer the phone. Calling and calling and calling. He would not answer. Texting, no reply, nothing. He ignored me as if I never even existed, as if we never met. And I remember I got so sick after. My skin was eroded with rashes all over. Like I'm talking about rashes everywhere. You know, my I, I developed cholesterol, ane- like um, anemia. Um, I had something wrong with my liver at, at that point. Like I was really going through it. Like I was in and out the hospital, checking doing like um uh cat scans sonog- sonog- sonographic scans and all sorts of stuff i remember having to go through so much my 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 skin my body was so inflamed at I was filled with inflammation. Inflammation was everywhere. And I remember that year, that year I cried for for that whole year, 400 plus days. I was crying maybe two, three times a day. I was crying. I was crying. I was crying constantly because prior to him doing what he did, I had to, no, prior to him doing what he did, I was away in school. You know, I was away in school in my doctoral program and I remember being 
being living at my aunt's house there and while living there you know in the middle right in the middle of the beginning of the program my, her husband kicked me out he called me lazy you know he said i'm not doing nothing and meanwhile they have no idea i was in that room crying all the time my aunt was concerned that you know how me and her are close that i don't talk to her it wasn't that i wasn't talking to her i was in such pain such distraught with this whole transition of living here because i know my experience with living with family i'm never comfortable i'm not comfortable because somebody's i feel like somebody's going to come for me I'm on edge. So the entire time I stayed in the room because I did not want to, you know, they I believe they were, you know, newly newly married, maybe about what maybe a, a year or two in their wedding in their marriage, I'm not sure. But they were newlyweds and I did not want to be in the way. So I stayed in the rooms. I secluded myself. I would do readings with my little cousins at the time and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I tried not to be disrespectful, but the way her husband viewed me as like I was this trash, I was hurt. And I knew she was hurt when she when I left. It, I could see it in her eyes, you know, because her and I like we grew up as sisters, we were very pretty close to age. So it I was hurt because I ended up living in a shelter in a shelter for a while. I was sleeping on the floor of the university. I had my suitcase. It was crazy. It was crazy inside the shelter. It was cra- it was crazy everywhere. And I remember my homegirl Tasha, you know, my sister, my rider died. She was like, "You got to go home, sis." And I'm like, I don't want to go home. I just started. I want to finish my program. I want to finish my program. But I had no choice. I had to go home. I was so distraught, so heartbroken because I had to walk away from a full-ride scholarship all because I had no housing. My education was paid for, but I had no housing. And I remember feeling so defeated so down which is what led me into the relationship that on and off relationship that I was in with that man which then led to that incident that happened because I was already sad you know coming from I was dealing with a breakup at the time during the holidays around that time so going from a breakup to you know being kicked out my home to you know, not my home, but their home, you know, to losing my scholarship, you know, to, 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 to all this stuff that was happening around me to led me to that particular point in my life that changed my life forever. Because 2017 was the year that I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I like, at that moment in time, I was like, you know what? God doesn't exist. I was like, I'm done. But I remember crying. I'm like, I cried because I wanted a word from God. I was like, listen, I don't know what's up there in the sky. I don't know who's up there, but somebody's going to hear me. Because I was I was not stopping until somebody hears me. And I remember after going through all that trauma, 
especially that trauma with him, it was so bad I started sleepwalking. I remember I was it was so bad that I was so jumpy. My little sister would be like, Why are you so jumpy? And I couldn't even understand why I was so jumpy. I, I just became jumpy. Any little thing that happened, I'm jumpy, I'm jumping. Like it didn't even make sense. But it happened. Um while going through that, I was also seeking help. I was also seeking therapy, you know. And I remember one time, T called me. T was like, Lana, we're going to church. I'm like, what? No, we're not. <laughs> she finna stay home. We're not doing church. I love you. This is your area. I respect you. You know, I've served in your ministry for a couple of years now. You know, I'm just going to sit right here and deal with this issue. Next thing I know, Johnny's outside my door. And I'm going to church. And I'm on my way to church. And I'm... I get to the church and I sit in the back and then I see T all the way in the front. And then after church service was over, it was me, T and Bishop. We went into our secret place. We went into a secret place, which in my mind is ours now. (laughs) And in that place, I remember us being in that room. And we prayed and prayed. I'm to, I'm not talking about praying for just like 15 minutes. And no, no, no. I'm talking about hours in there. We were praying. Well, I was falling asleep and praying. T was sleeping and praying. Like I, I could, I've never prayed so hard in my life. It didn't even make sense to me. But they were there with me and holding my hands. And were, we were just praying and praying and praying. I didn't even know what to say. I was just saying whatever that was on my mind at the time. Whatever I was feeling. I just let it out. I just let it out. I was just talking and let it out. I remember praying, 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 praying. And I knew at that moment in time something happened. I just didn't know what it was. And I just wanted to just be still, not move. I just wanted to be still. And then we went home. T drove me back home. And it was just so crazy to me. Because I don't know what happened, but I knew something took place. And I went back home. To my regular life, you know. And I was still doing my, you know, different forms of therapy. And um, Bishop became, you know, a spiritual father for me because he was there listening to me too at the same time. It didn't matter the time, the day. He he answered the call and he picked up and he spoke with me and he sat with me. And he prayed with me and he educated me and he gave me wisdom and like, you know, it was different from, you know, therapy taught me tools and how to handle what's how to handle what I feel in my emotions, you know. But Bishop did something far greater, you know, for me. And so combining all these A's that I was I was receiving, you know, on top of the fact that I also changed my diet, that was another thing too that took place. I had to change my diet. So going through all of this I remember, you know, the hospital, the doc, my doctor's providing, pres- prescribing me with so many med- different types of medication. And I was like, I'm not taking none of them. And I didn't take any of them. I chose the route to trust God to guide me. Because changing my diet wasn't the first time. The first time I actually went 
plant-based. I believe I must have been 20 years old at the time. No, 21 at the time. And I, you know, I stopped. I don't know. I don't remember exactly why I stopped, but I stopped. And by the time I was 27, I, no, 26, 26 or 27, no, 27, I changed my diet completely. Like the first fast took me about 60 days just to do one full fast because I didn't know how to fully fast yet, but I knew I needed to fast to jumpstart my system, you know, to like, I really needed, I really needed how, I really needed to learn the understanding and the details of fasting and what that meant. And I went through that process of of fasting and I went through the process of detoxing and I went through the process of cleansing and I went through the process of letting go and I went through the process of just releasing and I went through that whole process and it was painful. It was so painful. And the people who were witnessing me going through that process were the people inside my home. Tasha and Talene. Because I was so broken. I was so defeated. I was so violated. I was so mistreated. That this pain had to come up and out of me. And the only way I saw that happening was through the complete transformation of my diet and relying on God differently and trusting him when I can't see him. I was just maneuvering. You know, I I wasn't, I was praying, but not as, you know, not as like someone who would pray every day. I was praying though. You know, I was still talking to God. I was still having people cover me in prayer. My mother who was, my mother who's always praying for me. But I was also still doing the work in the process. You know, I went back to school. You know, I became a nutritionist. I, I, like I did so much. The healing, the healing journey was a very challenging journey for me because it was... It was, it was, it was, it was deeper than just healing, forgiving and moving on. No, it was, it was so deep, so deep that everything, how my, like I, everything that was, that was me then, it all just started to fall apart. So my skin started to heal my hair like my hair that fell out started to grow my like at one point I could feel my hair like I could feel my hair growing that's how fast it was growing I could feel you know my skin re like you know taking its 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 healing I don't know it was just doing its own thing the rashes that were everywhere it was disappearing the mental trauma the torment the sleepwalking completely stopped because I think it, that incident happened maybe two to, three two two to three times, you know, next to that incident where I thought the sky was falling. No, that's a whole nother story. When I tell you my mind was mentally warped, manipulated, 
by this particular individual. I could not believe. It's not until I, it's in hindsight that I realized like, man, I walked into the lion's den's mouth and I did not even know it. Now, mind you, if you ever had one of those relationships where everybody and their mama told you that this man ain't no good, that was me. I was in that one. And the only reason why I stayed in that particular relationship is because of the sim- uh, because of the mere fact that like of how, of how long I knew him. And I thought at the time that I was in love, you know, and I thought at the time I was going to get married because this was a conversation that him and I talked about up until that moment when he told me that he didn't want to meet my family. And I couldn't understand, like, how does this man want me to marry him? And he doesn't want to meet my family. Now, that doesn't make sense. Now, I know I don't get along with my family, but the mere thing you, I mean, the very little thing that you could do is at least introduce, let me introduce you, no. I never forget the day he told me, he's like, I would never meet your family. Straight up in my face. His MO, it took me a very long time to realize that he hates black women. Not just any kind of black woman, but black women that reflects his skin complexion. Which then led me to take a look at all the black men that was in my life that was constantly, you know, you know, causing trouble in my life. They all look alike. Right? And so I had a thought in my mind that, man, these men hate me. For no reason. They talk down to me. They like, you know, they degrade me. They make me, they make, they, they make you feel like you are just this nothing. This person that doesn't have value. And every two minute, every, every chance he got, the word bed wench would come out his mouth. I couldn't understand. I'm like, why would... It was so diabolical. The gaslighting. This man was beyond narcissistic. Till this day, I don't ever want to see this man. Ever. I don't ever want to be around his vicinity. I don't ever want to be... I don't want to know anything of him. But I'll tell you one thing I did do that was very different for me, especially this year. Because it was this year, right? 2020, something was going on. I'm not sure what was going on, but something was going on. Because for some reason, everything that I laid to rest back in 2017, it all came rushing back in all over again. But this time it was like, it was in my dreams. It was in my reality. It was everywhere. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't function. I had panic attacks. I had anxiety attacks. I was up and down. My mood swings was left and right. I was all over the place. And the only reason why this happened is because at Andy's house, this particular lady named Kathy chose to put her hands on me and mind you me and this woman have we are not friends we are not friends this is a woman that took a monkey a a a a a, a black monkey picture sent it to my mother and told my mother she looked like a black monkey this is the very same woman who 
took me and my family from mummy's funeral, dropped us in the middle of a one-way street and told us to find our way home. Which then led to this moment, August 30th, 2020, this lady put her hands on me. And I couldn't understand why. And I know for a fact she wasn't working alone. So surely if you were a part of this, and that goes for you too, Sandra, because you were there when the situation was happening. Shame on you both because I grew up with you. Surely I grew up adoring you. So the mere fact that this all this was a setup for whatever reason that it was, I hope you understand how wrong you were for doing that. Because in the middle of the situation happening, when she put her hands on me, I was on a 30, 30 to 40 day fast. And I remember me on, like I was just drinking coconut water that day. Only coconut water. And I remember just feeling I was at a high. You know, anybody who's fasted before or detox or cleansed, you know you experience a, a different kind of high. And I remember just being there and I'm like, man... I was in my own little happy place up until that moment she put her hands on me. And I was like, God, she touched me. And the moment she touched me, something happened. Like I had this immediate stomach ache. Like I wasn't feeling good. I I just, I lost my cool. I was all over the place. Like I was so hurt. I, I just didn't know what to say, what to feel. I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, why would this lady touch me? She touched me, God. She touched me. Why would she touch me? And the mere fact that she touched me, it was a problem because I haven't let nobody touch me in a very long time. For a specific reason. And I remember going home frustrated crying because I felt like she people just get away with stuff especially church people they do things to the youth and 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 think it's okay to mistreat the youth and go on about their their life they plant seeds of doubts in the youth and they go on about their life meanwhile you know them persecuting the youth telling the youth they ain't doing this right and they ain't doing that they're passing so much judgment meanwhile their own house smells like shit excuse my language but you get what i'm trying to say i say all this to say that just like anybody else, we all have a story. I don't live in my past. I try not to live there. And the only reason why I felt the need to speak now is because of how everything has maneuvered. My mother and I, our relationship has gotten so much better. Because we had to get honest with each other about what was really, what is, what really happened. 
you know, and that wasn't, that wasn't something very easy for my mom. It took my mom to 2020 to really understand how I, what I felt about the church and how it affected our relationship, how it affected the mother-daughter dynamic. It wasn't just about the church. It took, it took her a while to understand, like, you know, why I was, like, how I felt about men. And let me tell you something. If my stepfather did not come into the picture of my life mixed with Bishop, mixed with, you know, Denzel from SFC, who was always praying with me, mixed with R.C. Jakes, I mean, R.C. Blakes, mixed with um, my first husband's best friend, I forgot his name, Dr. I forgot his name. Uh, I forgot his name. And also Dr. Fully Love at CU. If it wasn't for, you know, it's ironic because after everything that I've experienced in some weird way, it was men who kind of sort of helped me heal myself in essence because they were pouring into me in ways that I've never gotten poured into, especially my stepfather, my dad, like my papa. He poured love into me that I've never, ever, ever experienced. Just the mere fact of him just making food, leaving food for me. He would go into my room and fix my bed sometime. Like, it was the things that he did. It was the way that he spoke to me. It was the way that he treated my mother. It was the way how I saw the dynamic of the relationship between my mother and him and how they worked together and how they, they were just so well with each other. It was seeing that that led me to, like, he softened my heart. Mixed with Bishop, who softened my heart. Because it was cold as callous. And let me tell you, I had, I, I planned revenge. I, trust me, I was one of those people. I did. But all of this happening, all of this that has happened came into a full circle moment up until this very year when my parents decided that you know what this is it they've had enough they're ready to go home and be in their rightful spaces which I don't blame them because this was a conversation that my mother and I we would have all the time and I would tell my mom like you know whenever you're ready just let me know you know and we'll all we'll make the plans you know and the arrangements for you to you know to leave and 2020 June 2020 she's you know she came to me and my sister and she told us and I was like all right but the transition process was a very difficult process for all of us it was a huge change because at at that moment I like at that moment I was just thinking of so much that has happened over the years, just thinking of the trauma that I've experienced, the trauma, the trauma, the trauma. And then the healing that came after it. And then my ability to be able to be in people's homes and spaces and to help them to come back to health and speak to them and to, you know, do the best that I can as a dietitian and as a nutritionist. So it was just, I was overwhelmed with who I became. But I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't frightened of who I was. 
I wasn't, you know, I was aware. But I like, I like working, you know, very low-key setting. I didn't want to be in people's spaces. I didn't want to be in nobody's space. I just wanted to be in my own little corner because I didn't want to interact with people that I used to know. It's, this was my main fear of living in Brooklyn. Because I know this ex of mine lives here, I have a, there was a fear that was in me. The fear of the possibility of me running into him. What would that look like? Because there was a time that Tasha, I remember this was in 2018, Tasha gave him an opening. Tasha gave him a window to make it right. Instead of making it right, this man uttered out his mouth and said, we were never together, that he doesn't know me. And I remember that very same year, I started dating this um, guy long distance later on that year. And I remember one day he called me and he was like, I know you were agent. I know you were an op and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like. How would he know? It's like he knew when another man was around me for some weird reason. Like, it didn't matter how long we we haven't spoken. He he knew. By the time I realized how he would know certain things, I I was aware, but I didn't want to say it out loud. But I was aware of what had happened to me. Because that evil smile on his face that, that said, like, I took something from you. I never forgot that face. I never forgot that smile. I never forgot that look. I say all this to say that after all, after all was said and done, there was not a single apology, nor was I expecting one at this point in my life because... I realize a lot of people like to deflect and a lot of people don't like to be held accountable, especially men. Men don't like to be held accountable when they do certain things that are wrong. I think the only man in my life that ever apologized for what he did and he knew he was wrong, he knew who he is. He was the only one who, within the after that whole incident that happened between him and I, within the years, he, he, he came back, you know, hi, bye. And then one day I got this long message from him apologizing and all sorts of stuff, like really addressing, not deflecting, but addressing the situation, you know? And it made me look at him different. That I think when he apologized to me, I think that was in 2017 or 16. I don't even remember the year, but it was one of those years. And I looked at him differently because of the fact that I was like, wow, that's different. I've never met a man that has ever apologized. But it's still, like, to me, yes, he apologized, but nothing was made right about it. But it was what it was, right? But he apologized. That blew my mind. And so, 
that was that. But in every single case, I've what I learned is that a lot of a lot of men don't like to be held accountable for what they do. They like to play play the victim, or they deflect, or they pretend that they don't know what it is that you're talking about. And it's not just men; it's also women. They deflect and pretend you don't know. They don't know what you're talking about. That you're delusional. They gaslight you as if like you're dumb. As if like you have no no sense. As if like like nah, there's something wrong with you. No, no, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with the your thinking process. There's something wrong with the mere fact that you think it's okay to rape, molest, or touch or assault a woman and think it's okay. There is something wrong with that thinking. And at some point, God is going to hold you accountable for every woman you've done wrong. Because you have to understand, when you understand that, when you really truly understand who Jesus was, especially for you evangelists, pastors, or who, whatever you guys call yourself to be, Jesus was very gentle with women. So I can't understand why every time I come across some of you pastors, you have no compassion. It never made sense to me. At some point, God is going to hold you accountable for what you did, your actions, because it like it just you you won't just get away with it. You won't get away with it. Pierre that which my mother um my mother's ex he won't get away with what he did to two people in my family he won't get away with it and that incident that happened with my little sister with David Nason's family he won't get away with it i promise you that because to see what happened to my little sister i, I don't even remember what year it was it was so diabolical you won't get away with it. At some point, God is going to hold you accountable. And his word will not come back void. As I close with everything that I had to say, <laughs> I hope that this message may reach someone and understand how after all is said and done, after the pain, after the trauma, after the depression, after the anxiety, the panic attack, after all is said and done, God heals, God hears. And when you lament at the feet of God, I'm talking about truly lamenting. He will open doors for you that you never even saw coming or you never even imagined. Because that is the power that the most high holds. We can't even begin to imagine what he has plans for for us. After all is said and done, after you suffered for a while, you will inherit the kingdom.
I think part of me want to do a part two to this um, regarding the healing phase and what that looked like specifically in terms of like, you know, what I ate, how I ate, how I fasted and detox, you know, meeting with different therapists, you know, cognitive therapy, you know, development therapy, um, like it was, it was serious spiritual therapy. It was serious. I had so much unlearning I had to do and I did not have the time to sit and wait. I had to do it at that moment in time because even though I've experienced what I experienced, there was a part of me that still wanted to move on and get married one day. I just didn't know how that would look like, but I knew there was, I had to go under, I had to go through the process and I had to go under, I had to be buried within the soil, within the dirt before I could sprout back up again. And that took time. That took revelation. And so I'm going to close this out. I'm going to do a part two to this. Um, That part two would be recovering and seeing God from a different perspective and understanding God and hearing from God from a different perspective. And that yeah, that will be a definite uh, part two. So I just did this part to basically speak my truth, to speak my experience, to tell my story in ways that was different. Doing this is was a, a bit challenging challenging for me because of the simple fact that like I didn't feel like I needed to tell my story, nor did I feel like anybody cared because I grew up with the mentality thinking no one cares. So at that point, I was like, I don't care either. But it wasn't what God wanted me to do. So me speaking right now is because I am told to speak. And when the spirit moves for me to speak, I, I speak. And so that's all I wanted to say. I just want to say thank you for your time. I I pray that the message reaches you in the right mind, body, and spirit. And that it may touch you, it may transform you, it may, you know... May, may like if you are ever experiencing something of like abuse there's a way out there's a light but before you could even get to that light there is a process you have to undergo and go through and the process is challenging and it's difficult and it's emotional and it's all sorts of things and if you if you trust God is with you in the process, trust me, you'll come out on the other side as a light being. So that's all I had to say for you guys. And to my family, I love you guys, you know, but the truth, I had to speak the truth to get this out of me because it being inside of me, it hinders me in in many ways. So understand I'm not trying to hurt you, but I'm just trying to call the stuff out for what it was. And I hope that you learn what you did. You know, you learn from it. And I can see the growth, you know, within you guys now, but you still you still cause pain. 
And I hope you learn from it. Signing out.